Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television, right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh boy, what is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A. S-S-I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello and welcome back into the Prestige TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm here with a very special friend of mine. It's Van Lincoln Jr. Hello, Van. How are you? Hi, Joe. How are you? (laughs) The Ringerverse continues to take over all other uh, podcasts on the Ringer Network. Uh, if you want to hear the Midnight Boys, pew pew, uh, Van and Charles talk about Atlanta every week here on the Pressy TV podcast feed, you can. Um, I'm here. I'm around talking about, you know, Better Call Saul with Ben Lindbergh every week. Ooh, here special. On, on the feed. Uh, there's a lot going on in the Pressy TV podcast feed, but we are here to talk about Ozark. The last run of episodes on Ozark. I think it's really telling that for the first run, we did three episodes. We're trying to we're trying to figure out like how we handle these binge drops. So like we did three episodes. For this last run of arguably Netflix's most prestige drama, we're doing one episode. And you know why? Because it is a crushingly busy time for television right now. Uh, everyone's trying to get their episodes out in the Emmy qualification window. So it is jam-packed. And I actually kind of want to start there. We're not going to get into sort of spoilers of the plot yet, but I want to start you I want to start you with this question about does it feel like this was a big deal that Ozark ended it ended its run Ozark that has won multiple Emmys like are you feeling any sense of occasion or did it just feel like it happened and we moved on? Ozark is suffering from the Atlanta disease. What does that mean? And there are a lot of people that are listening to this that live in Atlanta. And they're thinking, we have a lot of those. <laughs> but these shows came out during, not, so Prestige TV obviously has been around since you would say The Sopranos, right? Was yeah. the Sopranos. So then with Sopranos, Mad Men, I'd say Sex in the City is Prestige TV. All the people argue that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, so when, Shows like Atlanta and Ozark came out, they were right at the point to where 
took a familiar face, Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, uh, Donald Glover, the other two guys, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, we didn't know as well, but throw them in something prestige and watch the magic happen. And they immediately had huge followers and huge audiences. What happened was during the run of both shows, the content wars happened, mm-hmm. right? The content wars happened and everybody started getting, like right now you are not a Hollywood somebody, really. Either, either you're an ultra, ultra A-lister and you're like, I would never do that. Or you haven't made it yet if you're not on prestige television somewhere right now. But even the ultra, ultra A-listers, like Meryl Streep's doing Big Little Lies, you know, like I don't think there's any level too high for prestige TV at this point. You know? Very true. I was just driving down the street in LA and I saw Josh Brolin, Outer Range. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody's getting the show. So with those two shows, they took breaks. Yeah. Breaks that were a little long. And it used to be the Sopranos took a break. People remember this. The Sopranos was gone for a whole season, came back. They, they almost did the same thing. They did half of the season, took a break, came back with the second half of the season. It's people's brains are moving so fast. We talk about how much content that, that, that's out there. I this week I have podcasts to do on Ozark, Atlanta, Moon Knight, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. There's a lot of shit out there. And I think it doesn't matter how good your show is right now. You have to be like Drake. Drake released over and 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 over again every single year. I think both of these shows suffered from not being as ballyhooed because they took little breaks. And when you take when you took that little break, we just filled it up with other stuff, man. We filled it up with other stuff. And I think um, Atlanta more so is probably suffering from it than Ozark. But Ozark right now, as much as I love the show, it doesn't feel like event television right now. And I think, um, and and we are going to, I promise, get into like what actually happened here at the end of this uh, series. But I want to talk about the Netflix problem a little bit quickly because we're in, we're in the midst of this moment where Netflix is experiencing its first serious wobble, public-facing wobble, in terms of, of its stock prices dropping and it, the layoffs happening and all this conversation about you know, the content wars that you mentioned, all these other outlets, HBO, Apple, Disney, all all were like, oh, we see you, Netflix. We're going to build our own streamers. Exactly. We're going to have our own must-see TV, must-see TV, and we're going to, and then people at home trying to <laughs> balance their budget are like, I can't have it all, so I got to choose. And Netflix, for a while, their model was, uh, quantity over quality in terms of like, there's a lot of quality on there, but they're like, we're going to throw so much up there that you're just going to feel like there's endless things that you can watch on here. But I think what people are finding out is that HBO with HBO Max, uh, you know, HBO has always said, you mentioned Sopranos, Sex and the City, like HBO is the originator of Prestige TV. Apple's been coming up with a lot of really good content. Disney has the families, you know, and Netflix is left holding the bag with like, Ozark, which feels subpar despite it's like Emmy Shine, it doesn't feel like it's on the level with these other things, despite being a very good show. And the binge drop, which I've always had a problem with because it's impossible to talk about a binge drop show, binge drop really hurts it because for something like Succession or Euphoria or these other like big momentous shows that we've been seeing, you got to have that week by week momentum. 
to like build the conversation. What's going to happen to Ruth? What's going to happen to the birds? We don't know. Are they going to make it? I'm really curious. What are the clues? Let's talk about it. And with the binge drop, we're like, well, here it is. The end of the story. But that's another thing that changed. Another thing that changed was people's appetite. When the binge drop first came out, people were like, oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. I can spend a whole weekend. And then there was a couple of shows that went, no, our show doesn't work like that. Like we have a cliffhanger show and we want you guys to invest and sit your ass down somewhere and watch the show, right? That changed during the time that Ozark was that, that Netflix model. These other streamers came along and they didn't follow suit. You know what I mean? Like yep. Amazon followed suit with their shows at first. Then they stopped. You know what I mean? And then you saw Disney Plus and HBO Max and all of these shows. They didn't do it. So now Netflix seems like, whereas Netflix seemed like the the new disruptive Just, upstart yeah. thing, now they seem like the old fogey that's trying to carve out their audience and figure out like how they stay relevant in this new era of content wars. So that's some big picture stuff. But I just thought it was really interesting that Ozark ended and I feel like a lot of people just didn't even notice that it happened at all. Uh, so welcome to this podcast where that's what we're going to be talking about. Yes. <laughs> but we are we we're talking about the last seven episodes of Ozark. Uh, this is your official spoiler warning. Yeah, You're listening to a podcast, to quote Van, about Ozark. We're about to spoil the last... Seven episodes of Ozark. So if you don't want to know, and now's your time to go. In a big crime show like this one, obviously a question of like who's going to live, who's going to die is something that infects all of our brains as we watch the end run of a show. How do you feel about the calculus of all of that as it panned out with this series? This is the way I felt. And this is the thing about with, with these crime shows. This mm-hmm. is the thing that the Sopranos avoided. Breaking Badly did too, and these other shows have to like deal with. Is these 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 people are our our protagonists? See, when we see a when we see a criminal on the fucking TV, um, well, depending because I always kind of root for the guys to get away from the cops. I don't know why. Like when we see <laughs> like, 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 I'm watching, I'm like I'm like I'm watching the car chase, and I'm like, hey, hey, make a left, dog. But, you know the helicopter's got us going to win, uh, but. <laughs> When we see these people, we see fully formed criminals. And the only perspective we get on their lives are what they tell us. And we don't believe them because we think that they're full of shit. So, hey, I had to do this because of that. I got caught up into this world and this is why this happened. And it just kept building and building and snowballing and snowballing. For my family. For my family Mm -hmm. until I had no control over what it was that I was doing. And now I'm in over my head and I'm in this world and I can't escape. You go, ah, bullshit. You wanted a boat. You know what I mean? Watching that happen to these families is both the compelling part of the show and the maddening part because they almost always transform into megalomaniacal, crazy, killer kingpins. People that need to go. But you don't really want to see them go. Because you get that it's kind of not Marty's fault that they're in this situation. His partner got greedy. His partner got greedy. He was laundering money. But if but if but it had it been up to Marty, he would have been a criminal that laundered money and it would have never happened. His partner got greedy and set off a chain of events that led him into all of this stuff. Joe disagrees. I want to hear it. I would just say that for a lot of these characters, 
there's usually an off ramp there's or several off ramps that they just zoom past. And I yes, think for sure. Marty and for Wendy and for Wendy, especially, um, yeah, it's not Marty's fault that he started in this, but it's Marty's fault uh, as enabled by, and then eventually directed by Wendy that they didn't get out of it before it got as bad as it did. Even, even the outs though, it's always an out. And then the end, there's always a new sort of. And so we watch these people and we're rooting for them. Every single show, we're rooting for them to figure it out. Ozark is just one endless string of problems. It's a show about problem solving. (laughs) It is. It's a show about problem solving. And then you get to the last season and you have like, what do I want to see? Do I want to see them get their comeuppance? Because they didn't turn into what Tony Soprano turned into, which was a living, breathing demon. Okay, they didn't turn into that. Uh, you, what do you want to see from them? And you never know what the writers are going to do, but you just know that you don't want them to wuss out. But we don't even know what wussing out is. So right. I don't know. It's hard. It's tough because, like the the question, um, the question you have here is like, what story are we seeing? Are we seeing a story where? the white middle upper class people who have come to an impoverished area and destroyed countless lives. Do they make it out unscathed because that's honestly the way the power structures in our world work? Or are we seeing a different story where there will be some sort of retribution for them? And, you know, what complicates the narrative you're talking about is that there's this other character, Ruth. It's Ruth and Jesse Pinkman, Pinkman, I think are like sort of similar in that, in that it complicates us rooting for, a Walter White or a Marty Bird when, like, the life of someone like Ruth or Jesse Pinkman's on the line. Do you know what I mean? But they did the, they did the same thing that Marty did. They made were, their choices. I mean, they made choices, too. Jesse certainly made choices, and Ruth certainly made choices. Like, they, Ruth had a million chances to get out. Ruth had chances to get out in this situation. The last half, the last seven episodes of this situation, the fact that Ruth didn't take her shit and get the fuck out was it was driving the shit out of me. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was it was it was I, it was bothering me. I understood it, but I foresaw what was going to happen. So okay, so let's let's go back to the beginning of this final chunk. Episode eight is called The Cousin of Death. Um and terrible it's a episode, high, by the way. It's a high concept episode, right? They decided to <laughs> mark Ruth's journey to make this decision like using Illmatic. <laughs> As well, as her, think, that's a right. That's a bunch of dudes in a in pieces. Like that fucking Nas is crazy, man. We're gonna flip him now. Now, now Ruth, who is twenty six, is listening to Pete Rock and CL Smooth and the last. They they were missing. It's like weird. It's like, like the, as much as I love Mike, Mike is like a friend of mine. That scene was crazy too. Like that, the, that scene was wild, <laughs> a bizarre <laughs> moment in TV history. <laughs> When Killer Mike shows up, like bizarre, bizarre. But Ruth makes this decision. And I I mean, I I honestly wasn't sure which way she was going to go. But and then when it happened, bam, it happens. She kills Javi. She kills Javi in the first episode of the season. And something that Julia Garner said, she's talking to my friend Julia Miller over at Vanity Fair. And she's like, Ruth's already dead. When Wyatt dies, Ruth dies. And everything after that does not touch her. She's already dead. So... Every every decision she makes, everything she does, she's just like running towards the bullet from from that point on. And I think that, you know, Julia Garner is really good. I think that really works. But the, I I like that Ozark took a swing in an episode. I just didn't think it worked 
at all. That that first episode, you know? No, it, it didn't work. And it was coming off of what we came off of, which was the most shocking scene, the red wedding episode of the show, if you will. Uh, coming off that, I thought they needed to come back a little, a little stronger. Javi, Javi is maybe the worst villain that the show's ever had. You know, <laughs> okay. he, 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 like, no, 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 I mean, when I say worst, I mean, like, he's a bad character. I mean, like, he's just a, that much of an asshole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. So, um, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Scary, unhinged. Oh, weirdo. Are you a Better Call Saul watcher? Yes. So Tony Dalton doing it's like Tony Dalton doing Lalo Salamanca. Same and thing. It's the same thing. It's yeah. a, it's a smiling, charismatic sociopath. And same thing. Terrifying. To, to me, and I guess maybe this is what they wanted. These last seven episodes became about Ruth. To me, mm-hmm. like Marty became feckless at a point to where it was like so difficult for me to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then Wendy. Wendy's heel turn was they really went for it with Wendy. The character that seemed like they were the, the stakes were highest for them emotionally and in their lives was Ruth. And that's why it was so hard for me because I knew it wasn't gonna work out for her. I think part of that also is is the responsiveness to like, you know, Julia Garner has won, I think, what, two Emmys for the sh- it's like one of those things where like a supporting character starts to swallow the show that they're in because the character's so popular and the performance is so big and well-regarded and it starts to swallow everything else around it to a certain degree. Um, and I think, I think that's what happened here. There's something that happened in the next episode. We're not going to, you know, dig deep into every single episode, but there's this really interesting exchange in episode nine where Wendy says, why do you choose everyone over your family? And then Marty says, we can still get out of this with our lives. And that's just like, that's what it comes down to. Marty has been trying to have it all different kinds of ways. And at the end, when it really mattered, chose his family over Ruth. And at the end, when it really, really mattered, even Jonah comes back into the fold. I want to ask you about that final moment. So we cut to dark, cut to black. We hear the shotgun blast. You can assume that Mel is dead and Jonah's pulled the trigger. He's killed someone for his family. Becoming the thing that he was resisting, becoming folding into the family. I had a read on that moment (laughs) Now that I've read interviews with the with the actors and the creators, I my read I think was wrong, but I want to know what your read was on that moment. Like what does it mean for Jonah to be the one to pull the trigger there? I didn't like it, Joe. <laughs> Tell me why. Because something needed to happen. Jonah was just about to leave and go away with his grandfather. And was it the wreck that made Jonah just flip and come back to the um Jonah was Jonah was AJ Soprano for a lot of this season. Just a competent one. He was AJ Soprano who was good <laughs> at math. You know, I'm uh-huh. serious. Like he mm-hmm. was, he You're was right. like he was a constant thorn in his parents' side, doing weird things, reacting emotionally, not seeing the bigger picture, and then all of a sudden, by the end, he's a Mexican cartel hitman blowing somebody's head off to to save to to to. Uh, to protect the family's secrets. It's, he killed a police officer. You know what I mean? Or a guy who I guess was a police officer as, as he go as he goes back. So I'm like, I didn't see the turn coming. It, it, it would have made sense that at some point 
Charlotte and Jonah bought into what was happening with their family. They really already had, to be honest with you. Charlotte definitely crimpers. had. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, Jonah was laundering money as well. So, like, it, it, it made sense that they were that they had bought into a lifestyle. But they had never, throughout this entire season, bought into the family. They never had. Not even Charlotte. Jonah was rebelling against that. They were rebelling against it to the point to where, for some reason, they were going to go live with their grandfather. And they were going to go live with their grandfather. They... There's a situation happens, and not only do they turn back and begrudgingly come back with their family, they then become soldiers in a whole new way. I guess you understand that 15, 16 year old kids are hormonal and their 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 fucking uh, opinions change at the drop of a hat. But I, I didn't get that. I understood Marty choosing his family because the thing with Marty is this: Marty's Marty's in that situation to where he really starts to, at some point, uh, tries to get out of the life while doing as little damage as possible. That was at cross purposes with Wendy, who was trying to get out of the life while while building something as big as possible. Marty was trying to sneak out. She was trying to go out with a bang. So that push-pull was always pretty good. So Marty Marty choosing to become Wendy at the end of it, kind of makes sense. The family was going to have to go in one decision, in, in one way. He threatened to kill a guy over a road rage incident. He was unraveling, you know? The Jonah thing just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I I, I don't have a good answer for you, but I hope it's the accident because otherwise I don't know why that accident is there at all other than to be like a weird tease at the beginning of the season, right? Because they showed it to us at the beginning, the very beginning of the season. Uh, which we watched months ago, whenever we watched it, right? And then yeah. uh, the car flipping. Everyone emerges without a scratch. And Not even a, a fucking hangnail, Joe. A bizarre. The car flips three <laughs> times. What kind of ride is that? I'm going to buy some so we can travel around as Ringer Pals so we'll be safe. <laughs> I asked uh, I asked Twitter for like some like questions that they had about the episode before we recorded. And someone wrote in, how much did Honda pay the writers to stage a car crash that everyone survives and reinforces what Marty told the cartel when he tried to sell it to them in season one? Best safety rating. Like, Honda minivan got got the uh, got the endorsement, the Ozark endorsement. But so, so my read on this finale, I read it wrong. Then I will explain what, what how the creators see it. I thought Jonah pulling the trigger there was a way that the birds were losing in terms of like, they thought they got out, they thought they could get out without any repercussions. And the repercussion is they've turned their son into a killer and that that is maybe worse than death. That's what I thought the show was trying to tell us. Okay, like Ruth dies. Those are the consequences of her own acts and actions. The birds have been saying this whole time, we're doing this for our family. And then it ends with Jonah pulling the trigger. So it's like, okay, well, fuck. Like, you know, I we fucked up our children just as badly as Wendy's father fucked up his children, right? The cycle continues. Uh, that's not apparently the read of the creators who have said that basically the story they're trying to tell is the story of the Kennedys. Uh, what do you know about the way that Joseph Kennedy made his money? Rum runner. Rum runner. One of the biggest prohibition era bootleggers to live mm-hmm. Irish mob master <laughs> connected with all the guys. He knew them all. 
He knew Luciano. He knew Capone. <laughs> he knew all of them. It all came from him being a rum runner. Joe Kennedy, an American story. I wish you could all live to experience uh, a Zoom call with Van leaning towards the camera and just going, rum runner. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Kennedy. Okay, so what they've said is that they were trying to, quote-unquote, with the with the birds, quote-unquote, building a myth and creating a curse. And so this idea of, like, the birds make their fortune in the Ozarks here, and then they go back to Chicago clean. They make their fortune with drug cartel money and all this sort of stuff, and they come back. Wendy's got political aspirations. They're going to be big political movers and shakers. They have the ability to impact voting around the country all of that is is something that they clearly have their eyes on. Um, it's you know, Mel invokes it right before he dies. He's like, "You don't get to be the Cokes. You don't get to be the Kennedys." And Wendy's like, "Since when? Of course we do, uh, right?" Yeah. Um, so that's the myth making, and then the curse that comes with it. The curse of the Kennedys, right? Is that like Joe Joe Kennedy makes his money this way, right? And then for generations thereafter, like all of his descendants, which it just. Weird bad shit. Ted Kennedy after Chappaquiddick said uh, some awful curse did actually hang, or, hang over all the Kennedys. The curse of the Kennedys yeah. is a yeah. thing. So the Chris Mundy who created Ozark says the birds are dragging around a curse with them. We've seen that play out in this in the show. Something I was I told you I was gonna say when we started recording is I I have this like cast list up at the top of my notes here, and I just started highlighting in red all the people who are dead. And the cast list is like in order of like importance on the show. Right. And it's like the top four are the birds, still clear, clean as a whistle. And then it's just an ocean of red underneath them. Everyone's yeah. dead. Except yeah. for Maya. Thank God Maya didn't die. But like Thank everyone God else. Maya did die. Everyone else is dead. Yeah. And that's the, the curse of the birds is they're just like everything they touch dies. And it they're was like gonna drag Rick, it with them. Rick and the crew from The Walking Dead. If I'm at some town <laughs> You know what I mean? If I'm in some town and Rick and them come through and they're like, hey, we need shelter. We can help you with the town. With the town. Hey, we're going to build. No, get the fuck from around here. Because when you guys come around. Everybody dies. Everybody, all the bad things happen. Yeah. It's like wherever Rick and them went, something bad happened. Hey, it's this new settlement. They know how to grow mm-hmm. collard greens and apples. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> they've got long. they've got Montessori education going on. They built they, a whole society. They've, they've survived. They, they are thriving. They're doing live action plays on Saturday nights. <laughs> they got they got entertainment. Not mm-hmm. for long. Rick no. Grimes and them about to come in there. And there's going to be a war. Everybody's getting fucked up. So so like it, it, I, that. Think about it. Ruth's entire bloodline is dead. Only three survive. Someone wrote it and asked, is three now the biggest landowner in Missouri? He is. He is. Yeah. Like, left to him. Three, three is the man. Three, get out, bro. Three, seriously. If and you Rachel. Hear me, yeah. Three Go with and Rachel, Rachel back to Florida or whatever. Three, go to Miami, bro. <laughs> like, I, I'm serious. This money will go so far there. Three, <laughs> become a content creator. Build like a content house. Leave, dog. It's not going to work out. I can't wait for Three's the, Hype House. It's a He'll dead be- man buried under your pool. <laughs> like, get, like, out. get the fuck from around there, Three, please. So overall, I mean, overall, it sounds like you're down on this last stretch of the show. I wouldn't say down. I would say that I just, I wouldn't say down. 
But I'm not, I would be lying if I said I didn't run out of gas. I ran out of emotional gas, man. It was so much. Navarro's sister, how many people are they going to bring to the FBI to try to get the FBI to get the people to deal? Navarro's going to be the deal. Javi's going to be the deal. We're going back to Navarro for the deal. We don't need Navarro for the deal. Let's give fucking Camilla the deal. At some point, the fucking dad was going to get the deal and become the like the like the, the grandfather should have ran the cartel. Like every they sent Marty down there to run the cartel. He did a terrible job. Like you know, there was just that was a one episode stint. Yeah, <laughs> down there was just a, there was just a lot going on, and mm-hmm. I think I ran out of gas with the show. To be honest with you. They should have dropped these all together so we could just finish them. It should have been, and I think it should have been 10 episodes instead of 14. Like, I, I don't think they had more. 14 episodes stories in them. And like, to be really honest with you, so Jen Cheney wrote a really good review of the finale that I suggest folks read over at Vulture, but she was like, the the peak of the show was season three, like the Ben season, right? Because Ben comes in and he like actively shakes everything up in a really meaningful way. And we learn a lot about Wendy because of Ben and all this stuff like that. And then last season is the fallout from Ben. And then this is more fallout from Ben, I suppose. Uh, Javi coming to town, et cetera. But I, I think that um, I feel like the show is was leaning too heavily on Bateman, Linny, and Garner, who are all tremendously good at their jobs. And that's not enough. Like, each of them get a huge Emmy bid moment in this episode. Bateman gets the road rage scene, right? Laura Linney smacks her head against a car window and blood just trickles down her face. Like, they're just putting their Emmy reels out there. They're all trying to do that. But that's not enough for a show when a plot is just spinning its wheels around three really good performers. You know what I mean? The, uh, the, the old manager of the blue bar, whatever, kills a cartel hitman. Mm-hmm. And, and they bury him under the pool. It's like, <laughs> at this point, I'm like, like all right. She's like, she's, it's like, she just, she kills a man. It's just, it's, I know that shit is wacky. I guess, I don't, I don't know. It just kept going to Claire. The, there was one fantastic moment. It would have been completely unrealistic from, from Claire from the Shaw group or whatever she's from. Yeah, yeah. To be to like keep that shit. She goes, hey, Ruth killed her. I'm like, oh shit. Now I'm back. And, and so there are moments where you're like, oh my God, the shit is on. What happens now? But far too few of them for them to ride on that type of kinetic energy. And I think, I mean, that's the finale. The finale, I think, is is pretty strong for that. You know yeah, what I mean? You're like, yeah. it's like party on the boat, Ruth dies, confrontation with the birds at their house. Like, and and um, Navarro dies. Like, you know, a lot happens in the finale, but there's just a lot of wheel spinning. And we got a bunch of questions about that, but it feels like there's a lot of wheel spinning up to that point. The father, by the, the grandfather, the grandfather character sucked. Just another roadblock for no reason. It didn't really work other than to like bring out this performance from Laura Linney as she's like as when he's begging on her knees to not have her kids taken from her but like no offense to to Richard Thomas who's playing her dad but like I think they were trying to do like Ben again because Ben was so successful they're like let's bring in another member of Wendy's family to un unhinge Wendy and like you can't really play the same card twice 
you know. And who's mad at her for decades and decades because she because she got busy in high school. It's like I, I get it. It's just I, I don't know. There was just so much going on. Mel was on the trail. The grandfather's stealing kids. We got we trying to launder money. Then on top of that, I was I was actually glad when they talked about laundering some money. I'm like, yo, we're gonna launder some money at some point. anyway go ahead i'm digressing bring the grift back no and i mean i liked i liked that mel shows up at the end i think it's really in keeping with his character we like there was that seat like the flashback to his time as a cop um in the first chunk of episodes and we you and i talked at the time about like his addictive behavior his addictive behavior to the job how he just can't let anything lie and uh, so him coming back, I think, really worked for me. I want to ask you, uh, for me, part of the thing that takes the knees out of the back half of the show, I think actually is Wyatt's death. Because Wyatt's death was shocking and upsetting, but then I just missed him being there. Being this, like, innocent heart at the center of the show, because no one else has an innocent heart on the show. And... Uh, so they brought him back for like some like, you know, ghostly hang time with Ruth. Did that work for you? Like ghost Wyatt stuff. I always, I always like ghostly hang time. Cause like, <laughs> it, you know, it's always cool. Like, uh, they brought back Adriana LaServa and she's just hanging out. And she's like haunting Carmelo Spano. <laughs> I always like ghostly hang time, but the thing was they took Wyatt and they didn't replace him with anything. You know what I mean? They like, we didn't, it didn't replace him with anything. So it was, I, I, I especially liked the scene when all of the Langmores were back. And the reason why I liked that scene was because Ruth looks at her family as a curse and largely they are not just to her, but to the town at large. Right. But there were good times and she's lost a lot and she hasn't just lost her cousin. She's lost an uncle and a dad and fam. And, you know, there was, there, there was, at some point, she was remembering a good time. At some point, the just overwhelming mountain of loss that was inside of her had to present itself. So I enjoyed seeing that. But why it couldn't come back in any meaningful way? Because his influence over this, this plane that we're on was gone. Like he, you know, he was, he was doing his best to figure out the world and didn't get a chance to because circumstances bigger than him took his life. So they just didn't replace that energy with anything. Um, and Ruth went, and if, if Ruth's search for Javi had lasted three, four episodes, I don't know if it could have, then maybe, but she aced them out pretty quick. She got the drop on them. The kids told, um, accessories to murder. Once mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. the kids told she killed Javi. That ends that. And so once again, not fulfilling, the moment of Wyatt dying was fulfilling in that way that really great television is because you just have no idea what's next. Because the way with the way she's going, she could have screaming, been, yeah, screaming. She could have as easily walked in there and killed everybody. Yeah. So you have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, and then the show just became, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, if that that happens in episode seven, if that happens in episode seven and we've got three more episodes to go, you and I are on, like, gripping the edge of our seats for the rest of the ride. But instead, they gave us seven more episodes to go. And it's just like, that's a problem all over the place, as far as I'm concerned, that, like, usually eight-episode season should be six and ten-episode season should be eight. Like, that's 
kind of how I feel about everything. Um, and six episode season should sometimes be eight or ten. Or a movie. Or a movie. <laughs> Maybe you just have a movie instead right. of a TV show. <laughs> Remember movies? Okay. Um, uh, the other flashback or, or reappearance I wanted to ask about is Ben. We're talking about like how much we liked Ben in season three. We get this like final, his final moments uh, in this episode where we find out that he has like forgiven Wendy for what she did. Something that she'll never know about, right? Um, how did that work for you? So it was an incredibly effective scene. It's just terrifically well acted. Just, what's the guy's name? Tom Pelfrey. Ah, that's the role he was built to play. He's I'm fantastic. Sure, yeah. I'm sure he'll end up in the MCU or playing a Jedi at some point. But that's like, <laughs> that, but that's like, that's like the, the, the role he was. It's just fantastic. Uh, it was so gut-wrenching. I wonder why they thought they had to show it to us. Ozark is like an emotional roller coaster, right? And every single, it's just tense. It's maybe the most depressing show ever. It's so gut-wrenching. I kept want, I kept, I kept asking myself why they're showing us this. My best thought about why they would show us that is that like Wendy can't forgive herself and she's out here punishing herself for the, probably the rest of her life. Um, not knowing that her brother forgave her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get it. I thought, and I would never, I wouldn't want to take the scene back. The scene just was really great, but it was just, you know, it's hard to watch. And it, 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 it being that hard, I mean, you know, it's a television show that's tough to watch. I get it guys. But like when I get, when I want, when I get kicked in my nuts like that, I want some ice after, you know, I want to, and, and the ice is normally the explanation of why we had to see that. Yeah. You, you know, Instead, um, it just like cut to the. It's just kind of. It's just a thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're almost done here. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a really important question to ask you. Sure. If you're in your car and you're stuck in traffic, and Jason Bateman starts punching the blood out of some guy's face and it's spattering your driver's side window, what are you doing, Van? In that scenario, well, number one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. If it's actually Jason Bateman in real life, or if it's, yeah. if it's Jason Bateman, the I'm phone's like, out. Oh shit! Get him, Jason. <laughs> I'm like, yo, Jason, fuck him up, Jason. I've been fucking with you since the Hogan family. You know what I mean? Like, I've been fucking with you. Was it Valerie? And then it turned into the Hogan family or whatever. Like, I've been fucking with you since the 80s. I remember. Man, you're my favorite. <laughs> like, like, I, I, re- I remember when you were the biggest thing on Tiger Beat. Mm-hmm. And then I literally remember when people were like, what happened to Jason Bateman? People don't remember this. People were like, where the fuck did Jason Bateman go? You know what's true about Jason Bateman is he was kind of the Julia Garner of Hogan's family. Because it was supposed to be Absolutely. about the mom. And then Jason Bateman just took over that show. That's so took funny. over the show. The dad was a pilot. So he was only on a couple of episodes. He wasn't on every <laughs> it's episode. It's just the Jason Bateman show. Was, Jason Bateman was the hugest thing. The same so as Al- like, that's what Alex B. Keaton did to Family Ties, too. Same, same deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at him. I'm like, I've been fucking with you since I was a kid. If you need some help, I'm on this motherfucker's head. What you need, Jason? Um but you know, I'm not going to jail for Jason Bateman. But no, I've been like Jason Bateman, like love Jason Bateman. So I would I would be delighted to see him doing that. I would and try to stop him. <laughs> and if it's Marty Bird, what are you doing? Oh, if it's Marty Bird, y'all gotta get the fuck off my car. <laughs> I ain't got nothing to do with you. That's y'all what I'm saying. Do. That person just 
stood there while the blood Shit. painted their gotta, window. I am crawling over yeah. to the passenger side and right. leaving. Yeah, y'all gotta get the fuck off my car. Get out of my ear with all that foolishness, man. Like, if y'all go fight, fight right there. Get out of my face with all that. I'm not trying to hear that. I'm trying to get to the crib, man. Get out of my face with all of that. All right, here's my last question for you. Sure. What, if anything, will be the legacy of Ozark? It feels to me... I asked you a question, now I'm going to answer it. Feels to me like this is the end of an era for Netflix. Because I know, like, the era that started with, like, Netflix starts with House of Cards and Origins of the New Black. That's how Netflix builds its prestige, like, mountain, sure. right? And sure. it still has huge, you know, it, it won the drama Emmy, right, um, last year with Queen's Gambit. Uh, you know, it's got Squid Game, it's got Bridgerton, like, it's got yeah. big hits. But, like... Yeah, sure. But this whole, like, we're going to give you what HBO is giving you seems like a game that they gave up when they changed leadership a couple of years ago, right? They need to find another one. They're like, we're not developing these shows anymore. We're going to give you, like, Bridgerton and Squid Game are big hits, but they're big, like, poppy hits. Queen's Gambit was the last show developed by the old person in charge of programming. And now it's just they're pursuing foreign markets and reality TV is is their uh, is their main goal, and maybe that will be a successful, but it doesn't seem to be a successful game. So, so, if you're not gonna have IP, I mean, reality can obviously get Netflix, right? But if you're not gonna have IP, and Netflix is not gonna have IP, it doesn't seem like Netflix is gonna have IP. You know what I mean? So, if you're not gonna have strong IP, um, you need big gaudy shows. Uh, the reality is, is that people's allegiance to brands is so strong. Like I watch shit on Disney Plus. I have no business watching. What I watch, watch. What do you watch on Disney Plus? Like, like the making of like weird shit. Like it's like I don't have time to be watching some of this shit. Like the making of some animated movie about a dog. It just pops up, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, I'll check that out. Or all of the Nat Geo stuff. I love Nat Geo stuff, but I watch Nat Geo stuff about, it's just weird stuff I watch on Disney Plus because for some reason in my brain, that thing that says Disney, it goes, oh my God, you know them. A little serotonin hit for you. Yeah, Yeah, like you know them, watch everything they say. And Netflix wasn't around long enough to get that. The thing that that made me come to Netflix was the content. They had the goods. And they're going to have to keep having the goods. I like Squid Games. Squid Game or Games? Game? Squid Game. I like Squid Game. I like all of that stuff. But I'm not one of those people that just watches what everybody else is talking about. I'm one of those people that watches things because I have a genuine vested interest in them. And so it's it's tough, you know? I don't know what they do. They need another Ozark, though. When you talk about brand loyalty, I think there's brand loyalty. There's also just like a clear brand. And oh, that's like very true. HBO has a clear brand. Yeah. Apple has has is curating itself a really solid brand with its programming. You're right. You're right. Um FX has a brand oh, I really for admire. Sure, yeah. Like real, real like these are names of networks where we know that someone is like running that ship in a really competent way. And with Netflix, I'm not saying they're incompetent. Obviously, they're still very top of the pile. But, they're doing great, yeah. But they don't have an identity. If you tell me I'm watching a Netflix show, I don't know what that means. If you tell me I'm watching, you're watching an HBO show, 
I can't, you know, is it a comedy or is it a drama? Then I kind uh-huh. of understand what you're watching. You know what I mean? But that and used to be the strength of Netflix. You don't think so, Joe? That it didn't. Well, I, I think when you're talking about. Yes, I think that use that was their initial approach, which is just like, we have everything. Yeah. What are you in the mood for? (laughs) Right. Tailor your homepage to whatever you're in the mood for. We have everything. But I think that in the end, now that there's all these heavy hitters coming for their seat, that's not going to be enough to to earn them lasting loyalty. So probably right. Um, So so Ozark. uh, Rest in peace, Ruth Langmore, and possibly also Netflix. I don't think we're ready to bury Netflix under the pool yet, but. They'll be fine. But it is in the end of a certain era for Netflix with the end of Ozark. So I'm Netflix. I'm getting on the phone with Brooker and I'm saying, I need Black Mirror back. I need to get people talking. Black Mirror, perfect for the times right now. Like, I we need a new season of Black Mirror now. Put some kind of microchip in somebody's brain. Make a movie, <laughs> make, make, make a show about it. Like, figure something make out. us really sad about a breakup we had ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Put yeah. us in post-apocalyptic world and let a let one of Boston Dynamics. Are the people from Boston Dynamics paying attention to their robots? The fucking very. It's. It's. I'm gonna be honest with you, and I want to go to Boston <laughs> Dynamics just real quick before we go. I think you it's should. A, it's almost <laughs> as if the people from Boston Dynamics said that's scary. Let's try that. Like they they Here's, saw okay. the metalhead thing from from Black Mirror and they're like, let's build one. We didn't think of that. I'm like, why? It's the same fucking thing. Okay, I support you taking a field trip to Boston Dynamics, but what you have to do when you get there is let's have a screening of Terminator, and then we'll end the screening. And then we'll be like, okay, Boston Dynamics, what did you learn? What did you learn? <laughs> what did it you learn? The, same way. <laughs> the Matrix. They always. The, the machines know that we fucked up. They know they can do it better. Boston Dynamics get on your shit. But no, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. But before I leave, before I have one question for you. Yeah. What are your top three most viewed streamers? HBO uh, is number one. Hulu might be number two because I can get the FX stuff on there. Yeah. And there's yeah. a bunch of other stuff on there. So I watch a lot of Hulu. Um, and then I would think tied for third is Disney and Apple right now. Apple might be ahead, except for like, I uh, watch a lot of Disney for work, right? But, um, but yeah, how about you? Where, where are you? It's HBO Max. I don't know how they got up there so quick, but it's HBO Max. It's uh, Disney Plus. Um, and then it's Apple. And people thought Apple was going to have all of this trouble. Nah, man, Apple's doing fine. You know? I- they started slow, but they are they're they're there you know what yeah. i mean i like what's interesting about apple i know this is a nozark show and not the state of the streamers show but <laughs> what's interesting about apple is that when they did their launch and i was there when they did their launch and when they did their launch they brought out you know they brought out steven spielberg and they yeah. brought out reese witherspoon and jennifer Aniston, and they brought out oprah yeah. and they're like we got it all we got all the shiniest stars in the galaxy and then what actually what won the won the day is like Solid shows with actually not huge stars in them. Yeah, Ted Lasso was not on the yeah. on the shiny docket when they first rolled it all out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, make good shows. All right. Well, Van and I will be back around talking about you know Moon Knight and Doctor Strange and all that other stuff that we usually talk about. Atlanta for Van, Better Call Saul for me. Uh, we'll be in your ears talking about the things you watch. Bye. Oh, and guess who produced this episode? Oh. Who 
Steve Allman. I'll be sure. Aw, our fave. Thanks, Steve. Bye! This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.